0: Hello again, thanks for joining us on Space Nuts, uh, a program about astronomy and space science. I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley. We've got a lot to talk about today, uh, including the biggest Mars quakes ever recorded, which is very exciting news, even though we don't know why they're happening. We'll also uh, be talking about the recent eclipse that was filmed by the Perseverance rover. The winds of Mars seem to be having a very interesting effect on the planet. Uh, And uh, something a little bit sad is the Artemis 1 project. Uh, They've rolled it back to the shed, the poor old thing. It's, um, yeah, back to the workshop. Plus some audience questions about what is the dust at the centre of our galaxy and what happens if the Earth stops spinning. That could be pretty scary. That's all coming up on Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10
1: Mission sequence star.
0: Space Nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. And joining me, as always, is the good Professor... Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. I uh, I like I like your fan. It's a very yeah, elegant fan. My my one and only fan <laughs> yeah. that has stuck with me for the last eight years without without failing. Falling off the ceiling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I very rarely use it though. Um this, this is quite a cool room at the best of times. So mm. Oh, that's good. It's very cool, cool, in fact. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Much cooler than me. Uh, Uh, How's the weather down there, Fred? Are you getting uh, more rain?
1: Yeah, we are, actually. There's uh, some more showers on their way down today. I just um, emptied the rain gauge from yesterday. It's nothing like it was a couple of weeks ago, Mm. only 10 millimetres, but, um, yeah, it's still coming down.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we've had a bucketing all night and it's still raining as really? I speak, okay. so oh, okay. yeah. yes, quite damp. We've had uh, about 25 millimetres today and that's about an inch in the old scale for the, mm-hmm. for the farmers out there that listen to us and still, I don't know what it is in points, I, I've no... Uh, isn't I a point a hundredth of an inch? Something like that?
1: Yeah, so it's a hundred
0: points. A hundred points, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I do recall now. Uh, we've got a lot to get to, Fred, so we better get stuck into it. Let's talk about these Mars quakes. Now, we've, we've talked about them before when they've been recorded and they've basically said we know these things happen, but we don't know why. But now they've recorded the two biggest ever Mars quakes and they, these ones are actually getting up there to Earth-type yeah. standards. Uh, that's right. If the, um, if the Richter scale, as we know it on Earth, translates
1: equally to Mars they are defined as a magnitude 4.2 and a magnitude 4.1 Mars quake yeah. and they're really interesting um the, uh, but what's really special about them Andrew is that um, there's enough information in those in the you know the um that you can actually sense where they've come from uh, and they're the first recorded events to occur on the other side of the planet from uh, the InSight lander, which is what has recorded them. InSight, of course, um, uh, uh, not a rover, uh, a lander that was designed to give us insights into Mars's interior, uh, landed there 26th of November 2018, has been working ever since. The, the You might remember they had terrible trouble with the temperature sensor, and I don't think they ever got it to work because it's was oh, supposed yeah. to be hammered into the ground. And that's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but the, the seismometer has worked flawlessly. Uh, and so now it's picked up these events, which are being identified as being, as I said, on the far side of the planet from the lander, uh, and they're much, much stronger. Apparently, five times stronger uh, than the uh, the, 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 um, the 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 biggest one that's been recorded before. Uh, some of the scientists come from the University of Bristol in the UK, uh, and what they've done is they've identified uh, waves which we're familiar with on Earth, uh, and I'm going to put some technical terms in here because I think they're really cool. Um, earthquake waves, Andrew, come in two kinds, which are known as P and S waves, uh, and the, the, the P waves stand for pressure waves, so they're a bit like sound waves. They're, they're waves that uh, you know have a, a, a compression in the same direction as the wave is travelling, just like sound
0: waves do in so, air. so they would be
1: the cause of
0: tsunamis and things like that. Is that right? Um I think actually both cause
1: tsunamis uh, on Earth. There probably there's unlikely to be tsunamis at least today on Mars. Although there's uh, just as a aside, there there is evidence, geological evidence from Mars, that there have been tsunamis in the past, which is really quite amazing when yeah. when Mars had had an ocean. Um, so that's the P wave, the compression wave. Uh, the S waves are what are called shear waves, which are more like. Uh, uh, waves in a guitar string you know it's going side to side rather than backwards and forwards yeah uh, but these are actually something that so they are pressure waves and, and shear waves that have been recorded but they're actually they're defined as pp and ss waves um pp of course in music means pianissimo which is very quiet uh, but actually in seism in seismology it's a pressure wave that has been reflected back from the crust, back down into the interior of the well, the Earth normally. But here we're talking about Mars. Um, so PP waves, uh, pressure waves that have been reflected from the crust, and you might not be surprised to hear that SS waves have been. Uh, there are also shear waves that have been reflected back downwards from the crust, uh, yeah. which gives them a longer traverse time, and that's if you've got these reflections from the crust, so imagine a, a wave um, propagating through Mars's, um, Mars's mantle, which is the layer underneath the crust, uh, it bounces backwards off the crust itself and, and has a longer propagation path. It means, you, you, you know, you, you can see this thing from further away. Um, and uh, there's also some things called P-diff waves, which I don't know too much about, but they, they have actually, they're special because they've, they've crossed the boundary between the core and the mantle that's deep deep down in the yeah. in the you know underlying uh, features of mars so what they've done is they have basically analyzed these two uh, these two shaking events uh, which are uh, they've got names you know i didn't know that they actually named these seismic events so the 4.2 magnitude is called s0976a and the, uh, the the 4.1 event is called s1000a it's a nice round number there they probably had a celebration for that one uh, yeah. and they were they were recorded within a month of each other so uh, so that you know similar times uh, the first one uh, is really interesting because there's enough information in In the seismic record that the scientists can actually pinpoint its origin
0: and guess where it is uh it's it's i won't blow i won't blow the whistle because i already know i read you already know yeah (laughs) but (laughs) well i was surprised
1: yeah actually i was i was surprised and then i thought yeah that figures and people are probably going oh it was olympus mons it's volcanic but no it's not. It's uh, it's quite a long way from Olympus Mons. It's Valles Marinaris, or Valles Marinaris, depending on how you speak, pronounce your Latin. The 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 Mariner, you know, a great cleft in the uh, in the surface of Mars that dwarfs the Grand Canyon. Absolutely yes. dwarfs it. Uh, and y- yes, yeah, so you can imagine that uh, as, as you know, a feature like that, a geological feature that's of such. Um, it's such a kind of, re- represents a disturbance to the crust, which happened obviously many, many, many millie- millennia ago. But mm-hmm. there's probably still geological activity there as bits fall down and, you know. Well, I was going to
0: ask evolve. if um, uh, magnitude 4.2 or 4.1 could be caused by a landslide or something.
1: Yeah, I I
0: mean, on a large scale
1: it could. It's probably more likely a fault, because I think um, Valles Marinaris is actually a fault system. It's a bit like a rift valley where there's faults on either side. And so you've still got fault activity uh, taking place. Um, That's what the suggestion is. Um, Whilst the scientists know that the S1000A event, the the smaller one, uh, actually did come from the far side of Mars, Uh, they can't, Uh, located anywhere near as accurately um and apparently um that one the second one has a record it's a record breaker even though it wasn't the biggest in that it's the longest recorded on mars the 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 seismic activity the the trembling if you like lasted for a whopping 94 minutes an hour and a half of earthquake really yeah, it was probably you know a bit like the ones on Earth where there's a big shock to start with, yeah. uh, and you get a few seconds perhaps of of rapid activity, but then there's aftershocks. There's things that um, you know that the the, the the vibration decays slowly over time.
0: That certainly. Puts to bed the probability of a landslide, doesn't it? I mean, it wouldn't last that long. Well, no,
1: but you, you, you know, it, if it's a fault shifting or something, it could, it could have, it could have that kind of length of time, as, as yes. you know, as as everything settles down after the initial shock. Uh, I'm kind of speculating here because I'm I really seeing the close up details of this, but it is an extraordinary, you know, it's an extraordinary story, um, and in fact, um, there's also uh, there's actually a nice quote from uh, a scientist at uh, ETH Zurich, which is, uh, of course, the university that Einstein went to. Um, I'm not sure whether this person was part of the project or not. Uh, but what the, what they're highlighting is <clears throat> that um, the seismic energy that's come uh, actually has passed through something called the core shadow zone. It's where the core of the planet should shadow the, the seismic Waves, but actually what's happening is they're refracted and reflected around as we've of, as we've had. Um, so this scientist uh, uh, whose name's uh, Savas Celan, oh, it, it is one of the co-authors <coughs> of this project. so it's a, an authoritative statement recording events within the core shadow zone is a real stepping stone for our understanding of Mars. Prior to these two events, the majority of the seismicity was within about 40 degrees distance of insight. I think that means 40 degrees, you know, as measured uh, on the surface of the planet, uh, as in latitude or longitude. Uh, But being within the core shadow, the energy traverses parts of Mars we have never been able to seismologically sample before. So this is, you know, it's new insights. It's really... uh, Uh, very very uh productive in terms of our knowledge and it it highlights what a great project uh insight was um to dump a a precise seismometer on the surface of mars keep it going for well now four years uh, and record the activity um i I mean a lot of what it records is just the vibrations that come from meteorites hitting mars uh but probably also landslides as, as we were talking about earlier
0: but as for something as big as this, it sounds like something else has probably yes, yeah. happened. But um, th- there's no tectonic movement. No, that's right. Mars, Sorry, yes, so that's the it, point. It, it, it's yeah. not. It's not probably been caused by what a lot of earthquakes have yeah. caused, like on on exactly. our planet. So, Thank you, Andrea.
1: I meant to say that right at the beginning, and I forgot. <laughs>
0: no, that's that's okay. But um, if it's not tectonic plate movement, or you know. Rafts of land crashing into each other or sliding past each other, as is the case on Earth. Yeah, what are the theories behind this? Uh,
1: just this sort of settling that we've been talking about. You know, or it's, shrinkage, um, perhaps. Uh, could be. Yes, that's actually been proposed before as a, as one of the mechanisms for um, Mars quakes. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten that too. Yeah. So, but um, so, uh, and th- that leads to the. Conclusion, which is correct, that Mars quakes are a lot rarer than earthquakes because we've got tectonic activity. Yeah. Mars's crust is is con- it, it's like a, an orange skin. It's it's a it's a, an unbroken uh, skin uh, on top of the planet's mantle.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of earthquakes, um, now that you've mentioned them, um, I, I know when there's an earthquake, it's felt significantly in the um, in the local area. Um, you know, those places close to the the epicenter with devastating effects sometimes. But do those shock yes. waves radiate around the planet to a point where we don't feel them, but yeah. they pass us by? So they go everywhere. Uh, yes. Yeah, and and um, a lot of them
1: travel within the Earth's you know within the the Earth's, the body of the earth itself and it's because of these refractions and reflections that when you pick them up on the other side of the planet you can actually work out so much about what's going on inside it's actually how we know about the you know the structure of our planet with the core Uh, a core a mantle and a crust on top of it it's not Mm. by drilling holes it's by looking at earthquakes
0: (laughs) have you ever been in an earthquake Fred uh
1: not an earthquake but certainly I felt earth tremors um in Japan uh where things things wobble it's not anything alarming I just remember um there's a couple of times I was actually um talking to scientists there we were planning a it's a long time ago now, that what eventually materialised as the Subaru Telescope, which is their 8.2-metre telescope on top of Mauna Kea. Um, and I remember sitting in, I was on my own in, in my room in the, in the accommodation I had, and I thought somebody had walked behind me and shaken my chair. Interesting. Um, yeah, and there was nobody there, of course. And then um, when I went to bed that night, um, I was kind of lying in bed just before I went to sleep and I noticed that the there's a, a, a lamp that was hanging on a, on a cord on a lamp cord I noticed it was swinging I couldn't really feel anything but the but the lamp was swinging so, yeah. so the building was moving <laughs> yeah but I've never experienced an earthquake what about you Andrew have you been uh, in one? yet
0: one um, yeah. uh, 28th of December 1989 in Newcastle oh that
1: one yes yes yeah.
0: it, it wasn't yeah. a big one on a global scale but it was a 5.6 magnitude but it did cause fatalities and and widespread destruction. I'd just finished an overnight shift on a a local radio station in Newcastle and I was at home in bed and uh, I was abruptly woken up at 10.27 a.m. and it felt to me because you said it felt like someone was shaking your chair. Yeah, it felt to me like somebody had uh, got to the end of the bed and was lifting it up and down rapidly. Oh, really? That's what oh, it felt like. Wow. I was being bounced up and down on the yeah, bed, and uh, I, I woke up and went, "Oh, earth tremor! Never felt one of those before." And I went back to sleep. <laughs> then my 2. wife rang me. My wife rang me from work and said, "There's been an earthquake. People are dead." I said, "Where?" She said, "Newcastle." I said, "Oh, rubbish." Yeah. She said. Go and look on the television, and sure yeah. enough. And, um, of course, yeah, uh, I had to go to work that night in central Newcastle where all the de- damage had happened, and I, mm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, the, the railway lines all torn up and twisted and wow. just buildings down all over the place. It was uh, it was very eerie, very yeah. eerie. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I, that, that's the only earthquake I've ever Felt. I have been on a volcano that's been uh, doing its eruption thing, and you can feel the quakes through yes. the ground of those yeah. um, those yep. small yep. Uh, explosions. But um, yeah, very, they're very scary, and I know a lot of people listening have probably experienced many of them, particularly on the west coast of the US, mm-hmm. uh, where they have them regularly. And uh, yes, I, I I can't imagine being in a big, massive one, or would never like to, never like to experience that. No. But uh, yes, there's big ones on Mars too and we'll continue to let you know what they discover about them because um, the the data they gain uh, may well give us some um, uh, insight into the secrets of the internal workings of the uh, the planet Mars. This is Space Nuts. You're with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. (laughs) Let's take a little break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. Now, I've told you many times before about uh, good reasons to have a VPN. Uh, Security, online security, if you're in a Wi-Fi zone, protecting yourself from hackers, protecting your bank accounts, protecting your personal information. But... Uh, I I thought today I might tell you about uh, one or two things that you might not be aware of that a virtual private network can help you with. Have you heard of traffic shaping? Some people might know it as throttling. This is where your internet service provider basically slows things down so that you're not getting the performance that you expect and that you are paying for as a customer of the service. Uh, one of the areas that gets throttled pretty heavily uh, is gaming, online gaming. Now it's a it's a big thing and uh, a multi-billion dollar industry. And speed of access to the internet, being able to react to situations while gaming in a real hurry all comes down to how fast your internet service is. Now A direct connection to your internet service provider means that they have control of your speed and gaming is an area where things get throttled. Also seems to happen in other areas as well and you will notice sometimes there will be buffering. That means you have to wait for the system to catch up so you can keep watching your videos or whatever. So um, with a VPN you can bypass that. You can simply connect your VPN service and they can't touch it. That's one area. Another area uh, that I found fascinating is no more targeted ads. You know when you, you do a search for something and then all of a sudden you're just constantly bombarded with ads about that thing? If you use a VPN when you're doing your search no targeted ads, they can't do it. So just a couple of things you probably haven't considered that a VPN can help you with, and there are many, many more. You can look them up online, just do a search for uh, things people wouldn't consider a VPN to help with or something like that. But uh, yes, Um, and Nord, of course, being um, one of the best in the business, the best in the business, has uh, very high speeds and that will keep your service intact and you can avoid all those kinds of problems. Now, uh, as a Space Nuts audience member, we've got an exclusive deal for you. Uh, NordVPN is offering uh, a whole bunch of things. Uh, just go to nordvpn.com spacenuts Space Nuts. It's a special URL. Use the code Space Nuts and you'll get a huge discount off NordVPN uh, plus one month additional for free, plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free too because Nord has a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want to secure your internet connection, protect yourself from hackers, protect protect yourself from having your bank accounts cleaned out uh, or your personal information stolen, your identity, for example, or you want to uh, benefit from some of those other things I was just talking about, grab your exclusive Nord VPN deal by going to nordvpn.com/spacenuts use the code spacenuts to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus one additional month for free and a uh, bonus gift it's completely risk free with Nord's 30-day money back guarantee now back to the show, Space Nuts. Now, if you haven't been to our website lately, check it out, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io. They will all lead you to our website where you can read the news, uh, as in scientific and and uh, astronomical news. Uh, there's also, of course, the Space Nuts shop where you can uh, buy stickers and shirts and mugs and hoodies and hats and Uh, Oh gosh, there's beanies, there's socks, there's notebooks uh, and there are real books, not mine, Fred's. Fred's got real books. They're all available on the Space Nuts shop at our website, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io if you would like to check it out. Maybe you've got a birthday or some sort of uh, an event coming up that uh, you're trying to buy someone special a present for. Yeah, that worked. And um, you're not sure what to get them. Maybe they're into astronomy. You, you Yes, yeah, uh, get something from the Space nut shop. It's your choice, but just letting you know it's available. Haven't spruiked it for a while. Uh, now, Fred, a few things on the agenda uh, for this segment, and one is Artemis. The Artemis mission has uh, been rolled back to the workshop. Um, the Poofoo valve broke, I think.
1: <laughs> I think that's what it was, yeah um the, yes it's very disappointing so this this um is something we've talked about a couple of times before artemis 1 uh, which is going to be an uncrewed mission to circumnavigate the moon a bit later in the year but there was to be a sort of dress rehearsal um uh, it's, it's it's kind of called a dry launch, but it's uh, actually it's it's not really it's um, it's a wet launch or a wet dress rehearsal, uh, where you load everything up with fuel, get it all ready to go, and that means and then I think the plan was to stop the countdown at T minus seven seconds, uh-huh. uh, so they take it so far, uh, you know. In fact, it's about T minus seven seconds that they start um, igniting the motors on the, on a NASA countdown. So um it's been shelved, and in fact uh there's been I, I can't remember what date it was that they they brought the um, spacecraft out to the to the launch pad um I think it was um back at uh, right at the beginning of the month um they've had a succession of problems uh we've been sort of covering it for. Uh, you, you know f- for for our listeners because i think we mentioned it a few weeks ago but now mm. uh, with problems in particular i think there's a faulty hydrogen uh, supply uh, it's a leak uh, that has defied their ability to to uh, to, to to find out where the hole is. Um, there's also a faulty valve, as you said, the wiffle valve or whatever it is, has got uh, <laughs> a fault on it. Um, and there's an issue with the flow of nitrogen to the, to the, uh, to the launch pad. And so uh, basically what's happened is they've said, well, yeah, we've learned stuff from what we've done so far, but we're actually going to pull the, pull the spacecraft back to the vehicle assembly building uh, and, and, it will it will actually um uh, you know the, the, the faults will be rectified and then they'll pick another date for the for the for the wet dress rehearsal which was supposed to be a um, a 48-hour job. Yes, I, I've just noticed the date there. It was supposed to be on the 1st of April. Maybe that's one of the problems. Oh. Uh, a bad day to choose. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's now, in fact, I think it is either today uh, or is already back in the Vehicle Assembly Building for the work to be done.
0: Yeah, wouldn't you hate to be the person responsible for hitting the stop Button at team minus seven seconds, and he slipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, yeah that's right. Oh, away it goes. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, oh right. <laughs> yeah, nothing to see here.
1: No, that's um, right. All right. Well, I, I
0: guess that will delay the, um, the the actual launch, which was due not so far down the track. So, um, yeah, so yes,
1: yes. I think they had a launch a, a launch window. F- uh, f- from June 29th to July 12th and mm. that might actually be pushed back now. I think yeah, it's still um, I think that's still the window but I think it might be pushed back.
0: Better <clears throat> to be safe than sorry. Mm. Now we've already talked about Mars but this story uh, is rather fascinating because it involves uh, the Perseverance rover which uh, we've been reporting on in regard to some of the things it's been achieving. But it has uh, taken some rather startling footage of an eclipse. Indeed. Um, So we've
1: sort of seen pictures of eclipses on Mars before um, because Mars has two moons, uh, Phobos and Deimos. They're both... Much smaller than the moon, neither than our moon, neither is big enough to cover the sun fully, but they both orbit the planet relatively close by. And so, with Phobos, the the bigger one, which is all of 23 kilometers in diameter, um, when it goes by, uh, first of all, it's low down, so it's traveling fast. Uh, and secondly, uh, it's, you know, it makes the bigger, the, the, the bigger dark shadow across the sun or the dark uh, silhouette across the sun, I should say, uh, r- compared with Deimos, which is much smaller. So, mm. yes. Yes. Uh, Perseverance. Uh, the other thing about this story that makes it a bit special is that all the pictures that have been taken of eclipses before by mostly NASA rovers, in fact maybe entirely NASA rovers, have been pretty low res um, because they've been they've used their mast cam system it's a camera on on a mast that is used for navigation but um perseverance was fitted with a much higher resolution mast cam which is zoomable so it's called mast cam z i guess it's called mast cam z we'd call it here Um, and the footage from that is just astonishing. So they've captured this um, this little movie, and it's real-time. It's a 40-second eclipse. Um, and uh, if you go what the place where I've been looking at it, uh, you won't be surprised to hear, Andrew, is org. Uh, they've got a story. NASA's Perseverance rover captures video of solar eclipse on Mars, and it's there. And it's really worth a look because it mm. brings you the flavour of how different Mars is. There's the sun looking familiar as it does with sunspots on it. I think I might have seen one of those oh, well, sunspots. It,
0: I'm watching it now. It's just started, yeah. and I'll tell you when it's finished. Tell, tell us when it's finished as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is. Uh, it, it, it shows um, uh, Phobos' distinctly potato-like shape.
0: I'm playing it as well, Andrew. Just it, it, looks looks like a, it just board. looks like someone's hurled a potato past the sun.
1: Exactly. That's right. Uh, but moving, you know, sedately... Um, mm. but uh, pretty rapidly compared with an eclipse that we see on Earth across the sun's disk, and that's the real time. It's not speeding up. And
0: it's done. That's the yeah, whole eclipse in real time. Yeah, that's mm. right. Yeah. And it's basically going north to south-ish.
1: Um, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure uh, that that's the case. And you, yeah, you, the problem is, with eclipses, you can't make a judgment because it depends on what angle the, the sun is at relative to the horizon. Ah, okay. um, You know, if, it, if it's an early morning eclipse, it does look as though they're going north to or south or a, yep. or a late evening eclipse. Uh, so I don't know the details of that. But a, a really remarkable thing and marvellous footage uh, from oh, yeah. the red planet...
0: Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a yeah, it's it's a quick watch. So yeah, look it up at fizz.org. It's really worth it. Uh, now moving on uh, to Venus, another near Earth object, and um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, 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 the the common belief is that uh, Venus should be tidally locked uh to the sun but it's not and now they think they've got a theory as to why as to why that's right so yeah if you think of the moon going around the earth
1: the moon always faces the the same face towards the earth and that's because of this tidal locking process it's about the gravitational interaction between the earth and the moon likewise um, uh, venus uh, should be tidally locked to the sun because uh, it's near enough. It's actually, I think, just on the edge of where it could be tidally locked. But uh, the thinking would be that it should be tidally locked, but it's not. Um, and that's because, well, it's not been known why it is. I mean, Venus is peculiar because it rotates in the opposite directions um, from what it revolves around the, the sun, Uh and in fact, that's true of Uranus as well. It's why we say why is Uranus upside down. Uh, although Uranus is only tilted just below its um, its its orbital plane. Venus so is... uh,
0: it it rotates like a golf ball. When you hit a golf ball, mm-hmm. it has backspin.
1: That's backspin. So a very nice way to put it, Andrew. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, and we don't know why that is. That could have been an impact or something of that sort. But that is the case. It, it, it's now thought, though that what we're seeing here is the effect of something quite different from you know disturbances in the in the early solar system um and that is venus's atmosphere uh that this suggestion this comes from university of california riverside and i think other institutions as well mm-hmm. that what you've got is a, an atmosphere on the planet which we know is thick, it's pressure, surface pressure is about 100 times what it is here on Earth. It's very hot, because it's so near the sun and got this runaway greenhouse effect. Uh, but it's also got these huge winds on it. Uh, so kind of 400 kilometre an hour winds on uh, on Venus, uh, which means that the the whole atmosphere travels around Venus once every four days, basically. And that's 60 times faster than the planets rotating. Uh, And so the suggestion is that, you know, this significant um, gas envelope is actually, excuse me, affecting the resolution, sorry, the revolution. No, uh, yes, the revolution, it's revolving, uh, of, of Venus itself. Um, no, I've got the wrong word there. It's rotation, not revolution. Yeah. revolution is it going around the sun? Rotation yeah. is is the planet's spin. Uh, so yeah, the, the atmosphere is affecting the spin of the planet. And really interesting uh, a really interesting take on why Venus is so peculiar.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because the the sun would be cooking up this um, atmosphere and creating these winds and as a consequence of that it's able to escape tidal lock
1: yeah yeah it's, it's got just enough force to to stop the tidal lock being achieved it's not far off uh, it's you know there's, the the there is um so it's two hundred and twenty five days uh for the orbital period and I think 243 days is the sidereal period that's the period that rotation is related to the stars and the net result of that is the day length is 117 days Uh, but so lots you know very strange geometry so it it isn't quite tidally locked uh, and maybe the atmosphere was just enough to stop that
0: yeah, I was just trying to find what the um, the, the, the highest wind speed on Earth was uh, ever recorded, and it was April the 12th, 1934, uh, recorded by the Mount Washington Observatory at 231 miles an hour. Ooh, wow. Which is yeah. 372 kilometres an hour. Yeah. So yeah. that's getting up there towards uh, Venusian speed. Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what um, particularly caused that, but um, yeah, uh, that was in the New Hampshire region of the United States. Yes. Fastest yeah. wind gust ever recorded on the surface of the Earth. Didn't know that. That's extraordinary. I didn't either. I just yeah. found it then. <laughs> just yep. uh, I just wanted to make a comparison. But yes, yes, there have been rare occasions where we've hit speeds comparable, comparable to Venus. That's right. The difference is up there. It's constant, isn't it?
1: That's right, and it's the whole atmosphere that's doing it, you know. Yeah. When, yeah, and you can see the effect of that actually. Some of the images that we've seen from some of the spacecraft in orbit around Venus, which have photographed the atmosphere, there's a Japanese one whose name I can't just pick out of my mind at the moment, uh, which shows these curious uh, features. You know, the, you, all you're seeing is the top of the cloud deck on Venus, but when you look at it, you see these. So the linear features that go from one end of the planet to the other, which is telling you that this rotation is global. It's mm. uh, it's not just a local thing.
0: Is it the Venus Climate Orbiter?
1: It's not called that. No, it's got a Japanese name. Uh, well, that might yeah, be I, can't, re- I
0: can't read Japanese. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> well, it probably yeah. is then, Andrew. It probably is. Um, um, Akatsuki. That's the one, Akatsuki. Thank you. Thank you very ah, much. There yeah.
0: you are. Yeah. I can read Japanese.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to throw in a curveball here as well, but it's all Dutch to me, really. Uh, carry on. No, karaoke isn't it? Not carry on. <laughs> uh, dear
0: um, dear.
1: Yeah, uh, the 400 kilometers an hour just reminded me. Did you see that news story about the Czech gentleman who drove his Bugatti uh, along one of the German autobahns at 414 kilometers an hour?
0: I did not, but uh, uh, check I'll it be out. Looking- yeah. I'll be looking forward to seeing him on the next edition of Bad Drivers on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that page.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it, but
0: um, I, I couldn't
1: believe it. 400 kilometres an hour on an autobahn. It just beggars belief. Oh, anyway. anyway, never mind. How do you keep control? <laughs> well, it, it was driving, a, you know, the top-end Bugatti. So yes, It still- probably does,
0: but... <laughs> I watch Formula One race cars. They don't stay no, on the track. No, they don't. That's right. They don't. Oh dear. Okay. Um, well, uh, he survived. I guess that's the. That, that's a good thing. Mm. Yes, he did. All right. Um, but yes, nothing like nothing like they can achieve on Mar- uh, on on Venus with um, <laughs> the winds they've got up there. Uh, maybe they should take an Alka Seltzer and settle down. <laughs> um, this is Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Now, I've made this request a few times and I don't mind making it again, but uh, after you've listened to us, why not leave a review on whatever the podcast platform is that you use. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to say that if you listen via Spotify, they now do allow reviews. So a Spotify review would help us a lot. Uh, Lots of people have given us reviews on iTunes and and Google Podcasts and, and all those other amazing platforms that carry it. Uh, and um, YouTube's getting really uh, in on the act of of podcasts as well. So please leave your reviews on YouTube if you uh, listen to us or <laughs> unfortunately watch us there. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, reviews are most welcome, good, bad or indifferent. Although most of them seem to be pretty good, Fred, but that's... Um Probably more about you than it is about me. Uh, Now, uh, let's get into some uh, questions. Now, this is a follow up to something we discussed on episode 300. Unfortunately, I don't know the name of uh, the person, but they'll know who they are. You recently responded to
1: a question on show 300 of why we couldn't see the center of our galaxy because it was blocked by dust. And my question is, what is the dust? Is it powdered
0: rock? Any idea of the chemical constituency of that dust? Just curious, rather than just dust. Mm, Okay. Uh, I think we described it as dirt the other day, Fred. (laughs) Just dirt. It's a dirty place, the universe. But I I suppose that's a fair question. Uh, Can we break it down and, and analyze exactly what's out there blocking our view of the beautiful bright center of our um our galaxy
1: uh we can yes um and in fact um we know pretty well what it's made of i've got a uh an old friend and colleague we were educated together at st andrews he's spent his life uh, at uh, rensselaer polytechnic which is in new york state uh he has written books on this it's been his life you know his lifelong topic has been uh, interstellar dust um so i can tell we, we we can say what it's made of um and i'm going to quote this is actually from a nasa publication back in 1986 where we were already well aware and of course that comes mostly from spectroscopic work, Andrew, it's, you know, w- what you can do with um, uh, microwave telescopes, millimetre wave, um, wave telescopes, infrared telescopes, and uh, I think it was mostly infrared that Doug worked in, um, and uh, optical telescopes as well. So uh, here it is, a quote, direct quote from this NASA article, the dust in the diffuse interstellar medium, and that's between us and the galactic centre, consists of a mixture of stardust... Which is amorphous silicates, amorphous carbon, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, and graphite, and interstellar medium dust, which is organic refractory material. Um, so that that it's basically, uh, you know, a lot of it is silicates. It's stuff that um, that forms just by molecular interactions in these cold clouds of molecules uh, of atoms, which. Uh, Turn into molecular clouds. We call them giant molecular clouds. So it's where the raw materials, the atomic raw materials of stuff are located. They've been put there from the atmospheres of stars, which have come to an end and some some have blown up and some have just drifted their contents into the interstellar medium via what we call planetary nebulae. Um, so you've got all these atoms which in the cloud in the molecular clouds they combine. It, because at cold temperatures, uh, you can get these chemical reactions taking place. And so you get silicates um, made out of um, oxygen and silicon. Uh, and, of course, silicates are what make up rock, uh, and that's the, the bottom line. It's uh, exactly as our listener suggested. It's powdered rock, uh, but it's only powdered because it's never become rock. It's just the yeah. dust uh, that's, that's formed that. Um, and in addition to what we see there, we think uh, a lot of this dust acts as nuclei for other molecules to sit on it, like things that are normally gaseous on, on Earth, carbon monoxide. We know carbon monoxide molecules are very common in space. And in fact, the most common two-element molecule in space is water, H2O. So water ice probably covers some of these dust grains as well. And what you've got there is the raw material of comets and planets. So uh, that's, that's the sort of stuff that it is.
0: Mm, um, important safety uh, tip, do not inhale. Yeah, do not inhale,
1: that's right. Um, especially because you'd you only get one molecule per cubic metre or something like that. It's very, very rarefied.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, it is sort of spread out. It's not sort of clustered, but it, there's so much of it, it still yes. screens our view.
1: Exactly, that's right. It's, mm. um, it's, it's very, very rarefied, but huge quantities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So, do we know what sort of area it covers? Um, what You're talking about um, yeah.
1: You, you're talking about things 100 light years across, or oh. you know, bigger. They're, they're not they're not small clouds of stuff, yeah. um, and they've got that. So, um, giant molecular clouds uh, are significant you know disturbers of gravity so if one wanders past our solar system as we are rotating around the galaxy that's thought to be one of the one of the things that triggers comets to fall in from uh, from the oort cloud to start wow. you know, hitting the galactic sorry the center of our solar system
0: see we we just thought dust was annoying but it's actually dangerous <laughs> it's got a, bit, got yeah. a bit more grunt to it as well yes, that's mm. right yeah yeah mm. all right thanks for the question and we've got a, a sort of a what if Scenario. We like to get questions like this occasionally. This comes from Robert.
1: My name is Robert. I'm from Florida, and I got a question. If the Earth stops
0: spinning, would we just be continuously dizzy? Um, yeah, well, we'd probably get thrown against the wall. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might. It's a,
1: it's a great question, Robert, and th- thank you very much for asking that. Um, so I th- th- the way to think about this is... Imagine yourself standing on, say, the North Pole, since you're in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and the Earth's rotating uh, and carrying you with it as you stand at the North Pole. It means you turn around once in 24 hours, and then it stops. So you're probably not going to feel very dizzy by that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, it's you know it's the the, the motion itself is is gentle enough that it doesn't affect what makes us dizzy is the confusion in our it's actually all taking place in your ears isn't it the um uh those sensors in our ears that that determine which way up we are and what mm. the forces we're feeling uh, that's what makes you dizzy so it's too slow to have an effect on your sense of balance but uh, and I, I get the picture. You know, if you spin yourself around and then you stop, you feel really dizzy. Uh, yeah. But uh, if you spin yourself around once in 24 hours and then stop, you don't really notice it. <laughs> um, but of course, it would it would be it would make the Earth a very different place. And it is going to happen. Actually, uh, well, it's going to happen unless the Sun turns into um, a red giant star, which means all bets are off. Uh, but the the way that the Earth and the moon interacts. um the moon already faces the same side towards the earth if you if enough billions of years can go by without something else happening uh, then the earth will always face the moon and so the earth will still revolve sorry will still rotate uh, but it'll only do it once in 43 days so uh, it's kind of more or less stationary uh that's a situation that we can look forward to, but probably not, um, and, not and in anybody's what, lifetime. what
0: impact would that then create in regard to the way the sun affects Earth if, if we're yeah. only rotating once every four,
1: So that's right. That's a good question, days. actually. And, I mean, assuming the sun, this, the, the Earth will have probably drifted further from the sun by then. I'm not quite sure what, which way around this is going. But the... Um, this, if supposing the, the sun was at the same distance as it is now. Um, the sun actually raises tides on Earth, and so there would be a, still a tidal effect from the sun, But it, so it means you'd get a high tide every what is it 21 and a half days
0: all <laughs> oh, right because of that rotation but this this alteration would happen so slowly yeah, life on earth would adapt right. wouldn't it it's,
1: it's well it's happening already uh, yeah. which is why we stick leap seconds into um, into the, the the clocks every you know every few years because so they're down. You know,
0: if nothing else cataclysmic happens like a you know, red giant or any situation like that we 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 adapt we, over time if we survived long enough for, to experience this we would adapt. we would adapt
1: yes that's right yeah. it's it's yes it's slow
0: enough for evolutionary processes to be able to deal with it there you go yeah. um I, I wonder if robert was also thinking what happens if we suddenly stop rather than get off the spinning object <laughs> yeah well that, um, that's a different scenario <laughs> Yeah. It's like if someone pulled the handbrake. Yeah uh, we'd we'd probably yeah, it would be a a global disaster or just everything well, would be obliterated.
1: We it? we'd all keep on going eastwards at uh, in our case here at our latitude in Sydney about fourteen hundred kilometers an hour. Ouch. Which is um much the same actually for Florida. It's a bit faster than that in Florida because you're nearer the equator. On the equator it's sixteen hundred kilometers an hour.
0: I find that fascinating that we're (laughs) traveling at those kinds of speeds and we just don't know it. We don't know it,
1: that's right.
0: (laughs) Because we're all going with it. It's all just, everything's like going fly, with it. It's like a fly in an airplane, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's right. It's the same thing, a yeah. fly in an airplane. Mm. All right.
0: Robert, thank you so much. Lovely to hear from you. And um, yes, uh, keep uh, your questions coming in. If you do have uh, a question for us or just want to send us a note, you can do that on our website, space nutspodcast.com. Uh, down the right hand side, there's a, a way of sending audio questions, or you can click on the AMA tab and send audio questions that way or uh, an email. Uh, so space com or spacenuts.io to um, to get in touch with us via our um, various processes and systems. Uh, And don't forget to visit us on Facebook as well. Space Nuts, the official Facebook page, is there and we've got a lot of followers there. But uh, the Space Nuts podcast group is a social media group that um, uh, Carrie Brown created and uh, it's just gone from strength to strength and uh, everybody who joins it um, get along famously talking about astronomy and space science. And, um, you know, they they do police it very well too, Fred. They don't like infiltrators trying to (laughs) um, get in there and, you know, sell clogs or whatever <laughs> very good. Uh, and they alert me to it very very quickly so we do tend to stamp that stuff out real quick but uh, yes um yeah social media has become a great tool and we're on tiktok now i know um uh, as well as uh, twitter instagram anything else I might have to join reddit one day mm. that's a very interesting community mm. anyway we will leave it there but um, once again, Fred, thank you for your insight, boom boom, and uh, <laughs> all the information you provide. It's been fantastic, and we'll talk to you again real soon.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Andrew. Take care.
0: See you soon, uh, Fred Watson, astronomer at large, part of the team here uh, on Space Nuts, and of course, Fred, uh, not Fred, uh, Hugh, back in the studio who pushes buttons and blows whistles and flicks switches and. Yeah, you know, He only does it to entertain himself. It's like popping those, um, you know, that, that padding you put in a box. Um, he doesn't actually do anything else. But it's a lot of fun. Um, and from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for your company on Space Notes. We'll catch you again on the very next episode.